Chapter Twenty Six of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins by Robert Paltick. Chapter Twenty Six my head as well as my hands had now been employed for five months in adjusting all things in the most suitable manner for the reception of yorkey and her friends but nobody coming and light days getting forward apace i began to grow very uneasy and had formed diverse imaginations of what might occasion her stay thought i i am afraid all the pains i have been taking will be to no purpose for either her father will not let her return, or she has of herself come to such a resolution. For she knows I cannot follow her, and had rather, perhaps, live and enjoy the three children she has with her, amidst a number of her friends and acquaintance, than spend the remainder of her days with me and all our offspring in this solitude. But then I reflected she chose it herself, or at least declared herself perfectly satisfied, yea, delighted therewith and here are her children with me the major part of them yet what can i think since her return is put off till the swangians are over this arco she will never bring her relations now in this unseasonable time for flight therefore i must think if she intended to return at all it would have been before now and as the case is not so my fear of losing her entirely prevails greatly oh says i that we had but a post here as we have in england there we can communicate our thoughts at a distance to each other without any trouble and for little charge what a country is this to live in and what an improper creature am i to live in it had i but the grandee i would have found her out by this time be she where she would but whilst every one about me can pass repass and act as they please I am fixed here like one of my trees, bound to the spot, or, upon removal, to die in the attempt. Alas! Why did I beget children here, but to make them as wretched and inconsolable as myself? Some of them are so formed, indeed, as to shift for themselves, but they owe it to their mother, not to me. What? Am I a father of children, who will be bound one day to curse me? severe reflection yet i never thought of this till now but am i the only father in such a case no surely for am not i as much bound to curse my father as my children are to curse me he might have left me happy if he would i would them if i could again are there not others who by improper junction with persons diseased in body or vicious in mind have entailed greater misery upon their posterity than i have on mine my children are all healthy strong and sound both in body and mind and is not that the greatest blessing that can be bestowed on our beings but they are imprisoned in this arco what then with industry here is no want and as they increase they may settle in communities and be helpful to each other I have lived here well nigh sixteen years, and it was God's pleasure I should be here. And can I think I was placed here with an injunction contrary to the great command, 
increase and multiply? If that were so, can it be possible I should have received the only means of propagating, as it were, from heaven itself? No. It was certainly as much my Maker's will that I should have posterity here, as that I myself should at first be brought thither. This is a large and plentiful spot, and capable of great improvement, when there shall be hands sufficient. How many petty states are less than these my dominions? I have here a compass of near twenty miles round, and how many thousands grow voluntarily gray in a far less circuit? I had hardly finished my reflections, for I was sitting by myself in my tent upon one of the trees I had turned into benches, when I heard a musical voice call, Peter, Peter. I started. What's this? says I. It is not Yorkie's voice. What can this mean? Listening, I heard it again, but at so great a distance I could but just perceive the sound. Be it where it will, says I, I will face it. Thus speaking, I went out of the tent, and hearkened very attentively, but could hear nothing. I then ran for my gun, and walked through the wood as fast as I could to the plain. But still I neither saw nor heard anything. I was then in hopes of seeing somebody on the lake, but no one appeared, for I was fully determined to make myself known to whomsoever I should meet, and, if possible, to gain some intelligence of my wife. But after so much fruitless pains, my hopes being at an end, I was returning when I heard, Peter, Peter, again at a great distance, the sound coming from a different quarter than at first. Upon this I stopped, and heard it repeated, and it was as if the speaker approached nearer and nearer. Hereupon I stepped out of the wood, for I had just re-entered it upon my return home, when I saw two persons upon the swangian just over my head. I cried out, Who's that? And they immediately called again, Peter, Peter. Ors clam g, says I. That is, here am I. On this they directly took a small sweep round, for they had overshot me before they heard me, and alighted just by me. When I perceived them to be my wife's countrymen, being dressed like her, with only broader chaplets about their heads, as she had told me the glums all wore. After a short obeisance, they asked me if I was the glum Peter, Barquette to Yorkie. Footnote. Husband. End of footnote. I answered, I was. They then told me they came with a message from Pendlehamby, Kolam of Arndrumstake. Footnote. Governor. End of footnote. My Gopal. Footnote. Father-in-law. End of footnote. And from Yorkie, his daughter. I was vastly rejoiced to see them, and to hear only the name of my wife. But though I longed to know their message, I trembled to think of their mentioning it, as one of them was just going to do, for fear of hearing something very displeasing. So I begged them to go through the wood with me to the grotto, where we should have more leisure and convenience for talk, and where, at the same time, they might take some refreshment. But though I had thus put off their message, I could not forbear inquiring, by the way, after the health of my gopo and my wife and children, how they got to Arndrum stake, and how they found their relations and friends. They told me all were well, and that Yorkie, as she did on me, 
desired I would think on her with true affection. I found this was the phrase of the country. As for the rest, I hoped it would turn out well at last, though I dreaded to hear it. Being arrived at the grotto, I desired my guests to sit down and take such refreshment as I could prepare them. When they were seated, I went to work in order to provide them with a repast. Seeing my fire piled up very high and burning fierce, and the children about it, they wondered where they were got, and who they had come to, and turned their faces from it. But I, setting some chairs, so that the light might not strike on their eyes, they liked the warmth well enough, though I remarked the light did not affect them so much as it had done Yorky. Whilst I was cooking, the poor children got all up in a corner, and stared at the strangers, not being able to conceive where they came from, and by degrees crept all backwards into the bedchamber and hid themselves, for they had never before seen anybody but my own family. I observed that one of my guests paid more than ordinary respect to the other, and though their grandees made no distinction between them, yet there was something I thought much more noble in the address and behavior of the latter and taking notice that he was also the chief spokesman, I judged it proper to pay my respects to him in a somewhat more distinguishing manner, though, so as not to offend the other if I should happen to be mistaken. I first presented a can of my Madeira, and took care, as if by accident, to give it to Mr. Uppermost, as I thought him, who drank half of it, and would have given the remainder to his companion, but I begged him to drink it all up, and his friend should be served with some presently. He did so, and thanked me by lifting his hand to his chin. I then gave the other a can of the same liquor, which he drank, and returned thanks as his companion had before. I then took a can myself, and telling them I begged leave to use the ceremony of my own country to them, I drank, wishing their own health, and that of all relations at Arndrum stake. He that I took for the superior fell a-laughing heartily. Ha, <laughs> ha, says he, this is the very way my sister does every day at Arndrum stake. Your sister, sir, says I. Pray, has she ever been in Europe or England? Well, says he, I have plainly discovered myself, which I did not intend to do yet. But truly, Brother Peter, I mean none other than your own wife, Yorkie. The moment I knew who he was, I rose up, and taking him by the right hand, lifted it to my lips and kissed it. He, likewise, immediately stood up, and we embraced each other with great tenderness. I then begged him, as I had so worthy and near a relation of my wife's with me, that he would not delay the happiness I hoped for, in a narrative from his mouth, how it fared with my father, wife, and children, and all their kinsfolks and friends, whom I had so often heard mentioned by my dearest Yorkey, and so earnestly desired to see. My brother, Quangrelart, for that, he told me, was his name, was preparing to gratify my impatience, but seeing I had set the entertainment on the table, which consisted chiefly of bread, several sorts of pickles and preserves, with some cold salted fish, he said that eating would but interrupt the thread of his discourse, and therefore, with my leave, he would defer the relating of what I desired for a little while, which, we all thinking most proper, I desired him and his friend, who might be another brother, for aught I knew, to refresh themselves with the poor modicum I was able to provide them. 
whilst my brother quangrelart was looking upon and handling his plate being what he had never before seen his friend had got the handle of one of the knives in his mouth biting it with all his force but finding he could make nothing of that end he tried the other and got champing the blade perceiving what he was at though i could not help laughing i rose and begging pardon took the knife from him telling him i believed he was not acquainted with the use of that instrument which was one of my country implements and that the design of it which was called a knife and of that other pointing to it called a fork was the one to reduce the food into pieces proper for chewing and that the other to convey it to the mouth without daubing the fingers which must happen in handling the food itself and i then showed him what i used to put them to by helping each of them therewith to somewhat and by cutting a piece for myself and putting it to my mouth with the fork they both smiled and looked very well pleased and then i told them that the plate was the only thing that need be daubed and when that was taken away the table remained clean so after i had helped each of them for the first time i desired them to help themselves where they liked best and to say the truth they did so more dexterously than i could have expected during our repast we had frequent sketches of the observations they made in their flight and of the places where they had rested and i could plainly see that neither of them had ever been at this arco before by hinting that if they had not taken such a course they had missed me i took particular notice which part of my entertainment they ate most of that i might bring a fresh supply of that when wanted and i found that though they eat heartily of my bread and preserves and tasted almost of everything else they never once touched the fish which put me upon desiring i might help them to some at this they looked upon each other which i readily knew the meaning of and excused themselves expressing great satisfaction in what they had already gotten i took however a piece of fish on my own plate and eating very heartily thereof my brother desired me to give him a bit of it i did so taking care to cut it as free from bones as i could and for greater security cautioning him in case there should be any to pick them out and not swallow them he had no sooner put a piece in his mouth but rosig says he to his friend this is podsy i thought indeed i had puzzled my brother when i gave him the fish but by what he said of it he puzzled me for I knew not what he meant by Podsy, my wife having told me they had no fish, or else I should have taken that word for their name of it. However, I cut Rosig a slice, and he agreeing it was Podsy, they both ate heartily of it. While we were at dinner, my brother told me he thought he saw some of my children just now, for his sister had informed him she had five more at home, and he asked me why they did not appear and eat with us. I excused their coming, as fearing they would only be troublesome, and said, when we had done, they should have some victuals. But he would not be put off, and entreated me to admit them. So I called them by their names, and they came, all but Dicky, who was asleep in his hammock. I told them that Reglum, footnote, gentlemen, end of footnote, pointing to Quangrelart, was their uncle, their mamma's brother and ordered them to pay their obeisance to him which they severally did i then made them salute rosig this last would have had them sit down at table 
but I positively forbade that, and giving each of them a little of what we had before us, they carried it to the chests and eat it there. When we had done, the children helped me to clear the table, and were retiring out of the room. But then I recalled them, and desired their uncle to excuse their stay, for as he had promised me news of their mammy and her family, it would be the height of pleasure to them to hear him. He seemed very much pleased with this motion, desiring by all means they might be present while he told his story. Whereupon I ordered them to the chests again, while Quangrelart delivered his narrative. End of chapter 26 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista